Hey folks, Duncan Kinney here, host of The Progress Report. This is the uh, part of the intro where we talk about the podcast network that we're a part of, and I have to say, we're really lucky to be a part of the Harbinger Media Network. There are far too many dope left-wing podcasts to name off here that are a part of this project, but the latest pod from Harbinger Society Presents is one I want to recommend. It features host Andre Goulet speaking with Toronto Star columnist Rick Salyuson, who explains why Pierre Polyev's pledge to make Canada the freest nation on earth may just be the dumbest campaign promise on earth. If you like what we do, please support us. And now, on to the show. Friends and enemies, welcome to The Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. Recording today here in Amiskwachewaskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta, here in Treaty 6 territory on the banks of the mighty Kasiskasawanasipi, or the North Saskatchewan River. Joining us today is, is friend of the pod, Martin Olshinsky, uh, a law professor from the University of Calgary, and I believe this is your second appearance, Martin, is that right? That sounds about right, Duncan. And I see you've moved on from being Alberta's premier expert on the Allen Inquiry to uh, now being one of the biggest critics of Daniel Smith's proposed Alberta Sovereignty Act. And really, when we're talking about the Alberta Sovereignty Act, we're essentially talking about the only thing that the UCP leadership race is now about. So welcome. Welcome to the podcast, Martin. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right. Yeah, I I think I'm, you know, it's interesting um, moving from the inquiry uh, into the space has actually been pretty seamless uh, in the sense that they're, of course, related. And one really helps set the stage for and 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 really build support for the kind of things that we're seeing uh, coming out of um, Daniel Smith's camp. Um, but I'll say also that you know I I would love to go back to sort of you know, what you might consider like the slow food movement of like societal catastrophes, um, things like climate change and maybe an ecological degradation. That stuff at least seems a little bit a little bit slower paced than what we're dealing with here, but. Um, but at the same time, um, <laughs> I can't seem to stop thinking about it. So so here we are. Well, that's why I want to have you on. I think you have done some very interesting writing and thinking on the subject of the Alberta Sovereignty Act. And like, look, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a, a legal expert by any stretch of the imagination. I do not even play one on TV. But I think um, of all the people out there who have thought about this issue, you come from a background, which again, you have dealt with and thought about prior conservative Alberta politicians kind of incursions into the rule of law and into kind of like tyrannical behavior. And, and, and here we are right now. So, so you have been, you know, a vocal critic of this proposed legislation from the beginning. Um, but just recently, Daniel Smith put out some, you know, quote unquote, clarifications around the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Uh, but before we even get into the like clarifications, what are the broad strokes? Can you walk us through what Danielle Smith is like actually proposing here? Yeah. So, so what she's proposing, you know, so I think as background, we need, we need to have like a little crash course in constitutional law, right? So Canada's constitution, um, you know, because it's, because we are a federation, um, you know, very quickly the issue came up like, okay, if we're going to have provincial governments and federal governments, who is responsible for what? Right. And so then section 91 and section 92 are the main provisions that divide essentially like these responsibilities. And so when we're talking about this area of law, we actually talk about the division of power, right? So section 91 essentially lists a bunch of things and it says the federal government, parliament, 
can pass laws in relation to these kinds of things. And there you'll find things like um, the criminal law. You'll find things like navigation and shipping. You'll find things like bankruptcy. Um, and then Section 92 sets out the things that the provincial government can pass laws about. And so those are things like property and civil rights, um, local works and, and matters of a local nature and that kind of stuff, right? And so Healthcare, the list are there. resource development, right? Like well, all exactly. this stuff. Then, that... then exactly, 92A in particular, which was added in, in 1984, um, for instance, like specifically refers to, you know, the development of natural resources, you know, there's, and there's some, there's, there's a pretty strong grounds for arguing that a lot of that provision really just restated what was already the case, but then it actually did, it did provide some additional powers around taxation of exports and that kind of stuff or of resources. But, but so those are our, that's, that's our basic framework. And and so you wouldn't be surprised to hear, I don't think, I, you know, that as much as each of those, those lists, 91 and 92, you know, we, the Constitution refers to them as being exclusive heads of power. But they're not exclusive in the sense that they create these watertight compartments where there's no ability for overlap between the federal and provincial governments. Right there, there is inevitably going to be overlap. For instance, you know, the um, parliament has jurisdiction over fish and fish habitat. Um, you can't really build anything uh, in the, from a natural resource context without having some kind of impact on fish and fish habitat. It, certainly, when we're thinking about like classic things like mines, um, we might even oil sands. We might talk about massive, massive impact. oil sands projects. Yes, exactly. <laughs> right. So, so of course, the provincial government sets the policy it wants when it's talking about regulating oil sands from a, you know, from a royalty perspective, from a mine development perspective, but, but those same operators have to deal with, for instance, the department of fisheries and oceans and get permits from them. Um, and that's just the way it is. There's just, there's overlap there very clearly, but Ms. Smith would like us to go back and would like Albertans to think that that's not the case, that, that really anytime the federal government does anything that might influence or interfere um, with provincial policies and preferences, that that is somehow unconstitutional. And so what, and in particular here, she's talking about things like the carbon price, which the Supreme Court has upheld as falling within uh, that section 91. Um, she has issues with the Impact Assessment Act, which is going currently to the Supreme Court, was found unconstitutional by the Alberta Court of Appeal, but but of course has actually was first found to be constitutional as a concept, as a basic tool, 30 years ago in the Old Man River case by the Supreme Court. Um, now we're hearing about climate cops and, and we're hearing about fertilizer. But so, <laughs> so the basic idea with the Alberta Sovereignty Act is she wants to be able to say that when she decides and her MLA or and her MLAs, right, she, she makes a big point um, of this idea that these would be free votes. And, and we can talk about how sincere um, or even like realistic that suggestion is but that there would be votes and that they would decide when federal laws intrude on the province's constitutional rights and if they decide that they would pass a motion that would in at the very least in one case just refuse to sort of participate in enforcement right this idea that they would refuse enforcement although there's actually very little that the province, uh, from a, in terms of federal laws and regimes, there's not actually that much that the province helps with. But then you get to the more sort of serious suggestion is that they would somehow interfere or block or nullify, essentially, 
um, the operation of those federal laws within Alberta, right? So essentially, the legislature would take it upon itself to decide what laws, what federal laws are constitutional or not. And I should say that not just laws, but she's also referred to federal court decisions. And, and of course, I think the thing that, that you need to understand there is that I, I think when we're talking about federal courts, we're not just referring to the federal court and the federal court of appeal, but all of our superior courts, like in, in Alberta, the court of King's bench, and then now the court of appeal, um, <laughs> these are federally appointed judges. Um, so she seems to be suggesting that somehow they would be able to decide which of their decisions they want to follow or not. And they would pass a motion, basically, and that would be the new lay of the land in the province of Alberta. So if I could try and summarize that, it's like uh, the Sovereignty Act would allow Daniel Smith and her caucus to essentially uh, vote down federal laws and enforcement of federal laws that they don't like. Yep, that's exactly right. And so... uh, I mean, that's that's relatively like again, we're talking about relatively esoteric legal arguments. And it's it's interesting to me that this has become the defining issue of this UCP leadership. And I and, I, and if you'll allow me a, like a minute to just like mm-hmm. uh, offer up a, a potential explanation for why, I, I don't think most people give a shit about esoteric legal and philosophical arguments about the division of power, or section ninety one or section ninety two of the Constitution. The reason why I think this has become the defining issue of the UCP leadership race is because it allows Daniel Smith to hit all of the like right-wing memes and talking points and conspiracy theories <laughs> to, to and allows her to address those issues to potential supporters and in in this leadership race and say, "Oh yeah, we'll just get rid of it. Oh, this is your issue? Okay. Well, we're just going to get rid of it." And and so it's a very clever uh way to kind of take a wonky legalistic you know constitutional law argument and just say actually uh with the, with the power of my magical law we'll be able to fix all of the things that you want fixed <laughs> and and we see this when Daniel Smith again rolled out her clarifications earlier this week and the clarifications are almost entirely right wing meme talking points or conspiracy theories <laughs> Right. Yeah. What I mean, do you what do you think what do you think of what do you think of that uh, take that this is why that that hypothesis is why the issue has be or why the Alberta Sovereignty Act has become the defining issue of the the UCP leadership race. So I actually I I don't know if you know so one of the things that's going on here that we haven't had a chance to talk about which is the main reason why I get so um, frustrated and why I'm so concerned about this proposal is actually not about the sort of the niceties of section 91 versus 92. Um, and, and then what you exactly, as I referred to as a division of powers, but there's this other thing that's happening here, which is that Danielle Smith is saying that she's above the law. And I don't know, in, in, like literally, right. What is she, she has proposed to essentially take on the role of our judges in deciding you know, what is constitutional or not. And, and if you stop and think about that for a second, again, just, you know, judges are appointed. And, and so, of, of course, it's not a perfect process, but generally speaking, they have tenure for life subject to some like terrible misconduct. They're independent. They make their decisions. They have levels of accountability, right? You go from one judge to a, from one court level to another, all the way to the Supreme Court. As you make your way up, 
We have more than one judge, right, sitting in these appeals. Again, these are all tools that help to temper the risks of bias and, and of prejudgment and all that kind of stuff. And of course, then they're also bound by rules, right? There's a craft there. There's a, there are doctrines and precedent that you have to apply. And they're supposed to apply them dispassionately and in an apolitical matter. And that's not the manner. And that's not to say that they always do, but that's the, that's the game. And, and that's why we say the courts are the guardians of the rule of law, right? Because they, we've built this system that insulates them from the whims um, and populist sentiments of the day, right? So, so to go back to your point, I actually, I kind of feel like part of the big problem, why this is like, in a sense, flying under the radar, but increasingly, I think, picking up steam. And I, and I don't know that, in a sense, she wants to keep having to defend the sort of the lawfulness and the constitutionality of this. And in fact, I think the fact that she climbed down from being very, her, her, you know, her team being very blatant about it being unconstitutional to now her trying to argue that, no, it would be constitutional and, 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 and coming up with bogus arguments for why it's necessary. I don't think she appreciated just how problematic her proposal was from the separation of powers perspective, right? This is this idea and why I refer to her, you know, as, as a wannabe tyrant, the idea that she wants to take over, you know, the judicial power um, within government. Um, but then, but then also the other big thing is that exactly, I think as citizens, we have become ignorant, unfortunately, about these really important things. Like there's, you know, you can think of it as like a massive, massive civics failure that yeah. everybody, the minute they heard her say, she's going to ignore the courts that everybody didn't say what, like, fuck off, you know, like, and so that I think is that, to my mind, that's the problem here is that we sort of have, and, and this is, we've seen this in history, right? And, and that you, you know, we, in democracies, we tend to become complacent and we, and we sort of take things for granted and we take for granted the fact that we have, for instance, this functioning government, how, how we got there, all the institutions and the institutional arrangements that preserve some semblance of peace and security in our society um, so that when someone suggests essentially like lobbing off a third of it, people don't really catch on. And so I think mm. a big part of my sort of advocacy in this space has been to really try to resensitize people to sort of the fundamental dangerous thing here that she's proposing to do. Because at it, you know, what, what we seem to have forgotten again is that government, like government needs checks and balances. We do not want to give our governments all the power because then we have none right and and so we have these institutions in place and and in particular we have an independent judiciary who is supposed to be that check and has been and no politician like going back to you know one of the talking points here we're just doing what quebec does show me i dare anyone i will pay a hundred dollars to the person who shows me the french version of the alberta sovereignty act in quebec it doesn't <laughs> exist Fair enough. So you keep using the word tyrant or wannabe tyrant. And and earlier this week, you kind of put out a Twitter thread where you kind of made the case. Uh, walk us through that. Like, what is your definition of a tyrant and why does what Danielle Smith is proposing here, uh, you know, why do you believe it's a step towards tyranny? Yeah. So and so it goes back to this, you know, again, just to go back to the Sovereignty Act, right? So the fundamental premise of the whole thing is and is that the legislature by vote will decide what is constitutional or not, right? So that clearly is the what we refer to as like a judicial role. So then what, what am I referring to there? Well, so 
you know, like hundreds of years ago, and this gets all like very romantic and I don't mean to romanticize, for instance, like the founding of the US and like, I know all those dudes had big problems, um, but they did spend some time and they did leave sort of like an intellectual trail of thinking about tyranny. So what is tyranny? Tyranny is essentially for me, and I think for them, uh, it was this idea of unaccountable power. It was the idea of absolute power without any kind of external constraints and checks. So like kings, right? Like in a sense, in the old days, in the old times, when kings weren't bound by anything, you lived under, you know, to live under a king or queen was to live under tyranny because, you know, whatever you, however you wanted to exercise any control of them, you couldn't because they controlled the courts, they controlled the law, they controlled, you know, the government, the, the machinery of the state. And so, when these founding fathers, James Madison, Jefferson, uh, Alexander Hamilton, um, you should play some like cool music right now. Um, <laughs> you know, like when they got together, they said, how do we, how do we prevent that from happening? Because even though they're already sort of like in the throes of sort of democracy and democratic forms of government, like they realized that, you know, if you don't build the system the right way, then, you know, we just, it's, it's our nature. We're flawed. And, you know, like in hard times, the, the sort of the popular charismatic politician can sort of like swoop in and, and, and claim to be able to fix everything. And then all of a sudden, all our gains are lost and we're back to living under that sort of like monolithic concentrated power. And so they're like, we need to separate government into branches, into distinct branches. And those branches have to keep each other in check. And so there's the legislative branch, which is where Miss Smith wants to go. And that's fine. And right, we hear a lot about the legislative branch. There's the executive branch that, you know, and, and, and a lot of this is borrowed from the U.S. example where it's like very strict. Right. So in the U.S., you have the Congress and then you have the president as the executive branch and he appoints um, various secretaries. But but they aren't in government. Right. They're, they're not in the legislature. Sorry, they're not directly accountable. In Canada, we have some overlap there between the executive branch, which implements laws and policy and the legislative branch, which passes them. But then we also have the judicial branch. So these are the three sort of powers or branches. And, and the goal there is that they keep each other in check. And in particular, the judicial branch, and, and this is where maybe like my training as a lawyer and as a law professor, like um, why I sort of zero in on this side of things, like they are there to interpret laws, to resolve disputes. And that's why we can say that we are, you know, we live in a country where of where it's the rule of law rather than the rule of men or women, right? Or a group, because we're all bound, you know, and that's another really important thing here. In Canada and in other functioning democracies, everybody is bound by the constitution. Um, and so when Daniel Smith's co-chair, Rob Anderson says, like, we'll just ignore the courts, he's basically rejecting democratic like democratic governance we become a failed state when someone says that branch no longer matters well it's right? it's funny it's almost a, a leninist uh, style approach to revolution of just kind of provoking a crisis and then and then seeing what happens reacting to the crisis using the crisis to your advantage um sure. i don't know man i don't imagine i don't imagine rob anderson has read much lenin but it is uh <laughs> it's funny how uh these things come in cycles um I think you've you've kind of made your case. I, I I could see it. I definitely. I think there are some. Not that I'm going to be pushed back or I'm going to be Mr. Devil's Advocate here, but I do have some 
concerns, not concerns, just some like pushback. I'll call do it. it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Like this is fundamentally a political race. And like, again, I'll come back to the examples that she used on her website for like, this is when we would use the Alberta Sovereignty Act. She would use it for mandatory vaccinations. Again, not a real thing. Uh, settled law from like 100 years ago. Go talk to Dr. Ubaku Ogbogu. He's like did his mm-hmm. PhD on it. Uh, the jailing and freezing accounts of convoyistas. Sure. I don't know how what the provincial government would be able to do on that. But again, that's just like a right wing meme talking point like fertilizer use. Again, another like right wing meme talking point. Mandatory cuts to electricity or oil and gas production, uh, like from the federal government. Uh, again, I not realistically on the table. More of a right wing meme talking point. The federal government taking away your guns, very much a right wing <laughs> talking point. Uh, the federal government censoring you or or independent media based in Alberta, which is like, uh, I think that's that's targeted a very specific set of like Western Standard and Rebel Media fans. That's very funny to me that that came up as a, as an example. And then the the big doozy to me, not the big doozy, but like the the one that's most out there is. Uh, they would invoke uh, Daniel Smith would invoke the ASA if there was some type of mandatory federal identification program, which really is just kind of code for like Mark of the Beast. And I don't know how uh, much time you've spent uh, going through uh, millenarian talking points, but but I grew up in a pretty hardcore Christian evangelical background, and like the Mark of the Beast, like this is Mark of the Beast stuff. Uh, like real right wing Christo fascist stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is this is all theater, right? Fundamentally, what when when Daniel Smith is talking about the Alberta Sovereignty Act, what she is talking about is like this is the mechanism with, through which I will make all of you my supporters happy in the context of a of a of a leadership race of a right wing political party, and this is why it's so I don't envy you because you your brain is exploding, right? Like you were like this isn't how anything works you're wrong you're this is this is bad this is stupid this is tyranny and again you are correct but refuting these types of arguments with facts and logic doesn't work it's not effective because political arguments to be to be effective don't necessarily have to be coherent right and so yeah no i mean look for sure you know and and i I know, and I think I try and I fail repeatedly to try to frame this in a way um, that someone who might have a very different, you know, and I, I consider myself nonpartisan, um, and I know some people can laugh at that, but whatever, I try very hard. Um, but, you know, and I try to think, like, how can I say this and articulate this and write this in a way that will possibly be understood or at least, like, heard by the other side, right, so that they can understand that I'm that I'm actually what I'm talking about is about safeguarding, you know, like it's so ironic, of course, right, that these folks cry freedom all the time. But the basic thing that secures your freedom is something like an independent judiciary. And that when a politician decides um, that, no, actually, I will make those decisions. I'm prepared to ignore the courts in these instances. So I, I you know, I think it's very fair and reasonable to suggest that there may be other instances when that same person is prepared to ignore the courts and that you have that by supporting that person, you have kissed away, you know, one of those hard fought freedoms. You know, we talk about cliches around, you know, people giving their lives for this and that, but like, this is, this is really that, that stuff, you know, and, and I take your point that some of this is political theater, 
But of course, the other side to it is that it may be for her. And, and, you know, this is always that question we have is like, does Daniel Smith not get it? Or is she deceiving everyone? Or is it like a bit of both? Most people, I think, land on both. But like, there are, there are going to be people, there are groups within her group, you know, like supporters who take this all very seriously. And they will be pissed when it doesn't work out the way they want it to work out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so in a sense, you know, like, you know, and, and this goes back to Jason Kenney, right? Like Jason Kenney decided to ride the tiger. He, he, his whole campaign back in 2017 or 2018 was built around getting people pissed off about environmental groups, pissed off about Ottawa. Right. He, he, inflame, he sort of like fanned the flames of, of this anti-Ottawa sort of sentiment and, and for a while was able to ride it. And, and, and so then, but, but ultimately couldn't deliver, you know, and we can talk about why. I think one of the main reasons actually is that, at, you know, when we're seeing this in his commentary on the Sovereignty Act right now, like as far as he was prepared to go, he wasn't prepared to take that next step. You know, he's mm-hmm. like an authoritarian. He wants obedience and he wants unanimity. You know, like if you think of the anti-Alberta inquiry, essentially, as essentially trying to punish people for having different views than him. And the energy war room as essentially going out and hunting down, trying to trying to hunt down, uh, hapless in, in, in their effort, but trying to essentially punish people for having, again, for disagreeing with his conception of the good. Um, but he wasn't prepared to break the shackles of, of the system, you know, which you can think of like of, of a rule of law sort of state. And, mm-hmm. and ultimately, that's probably why he failed, right? Because, because that system is designed to preserve democracy and democracy and authoritarianism don't they just don't jive very well. So of course he was going to fail. So then I think Danielle Smith though, looks at something like that and says, all right, well then let's just, then let's just burn it down. Like then the let's just blow it all worth up. It. Let's just blow it yep. all up. And, and, and that's when you devolve into this, to this next level where, you know, and again, and, and like, and I do think uh, like partly not understanding maybe initially how radical it, what it was that she was proposing and how damaging, but now engaging in willful deception. So for instance, when she says to her followers on Tuesday, well, we need to do this because Ottawa is lawless and acts unconstitutionally. And we wait for years while this, while this makes its way through the courts. Well, no, that's total bullshit because you can walk into a court and you can challenge a law or an action, you know, some kind of policy decision, and at the same time say, and by the way, we, we know that it's exceptional, but we'd like you to stay or, or essentially an injunction against that federal law that we disagree with or that federal decision that we disagree with. And yes, there's a test, but, but that's the point, right? So you have to go mm-hmm. into a court and you have to convince, again, an independent judge that, that you meet the tests and that you meet the principles that, that are laid out in this context. So I think like that was like just clear deception on her part to suggest that the Sovereignty Act is required to provide that kind of relief when in fact that relief already exists. The only difference was that in, in, in our reality and under the rule of law, those decisions are made by courts. She doesn't want that. She wants to make those decisions, right? Um, and people yeah. will get frustrated because it, because it will break down. You know, and this is something, a point that Jared Wesley made. Um, he made the point that, you know, look, our institutions, he thinks our institutions in Alberta are strong enough to withstand this. And, and I hope he's right. And I think he probably is. But that's really going to that's going to make for a lot of frustration if we start going down this road. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, you know, the prequel to all of this, which was Jason Kenney. 
<laughs> and and Jason Kenney's, you know, campaign in 2017, 2018, 2019, where he, you know, he wanted to, <laughs> you know, put essentially put people who said mean things about the uh, the oil sands, uh, you know, in stocks, you know, with his inquiry and he created the war room and these legal fights with, you know, the federal government. Uh, and you know, it's a, it's an overused term these days, but you know, was doing this kind of right-wing rage farming with respect to Ottawa and the federal government. And, uh, while Jason Kenney does not want Danielle Smith to win, I think Danielle Smith is very clearly Jason Kenney's natural successor. And that this is, again, you're totally right. Just building on his body of work, uh, with just simply, a uh, another kind of more radical, more extreme wrinkle, which is just like, oh yeah, well, we're just going to ignore the law if we don't like it. And it's, it is, I'm sympathetic uh, to your argument. Um, but I think where, where my frustration lies is with like the reaction of our media and our pundits and our politicians to what is, I, I think there is some threat of tyranny here. And, and again, it, it, it comes back to like, you know, feelings don't care about your facts. And that argument has been like, that's proved like, especially when it comes to political messaging, like has been proven by like literature and science, and, you know, studies. And I, I put effective political messages into kind of two buckets, right? I will say like effective political messaging bucket number one are political messages that are all about improving the material conditions, improving the lives of the people who are hearing it. Very simple. Like I will ensure like when Dan, when Rachel Notley talks about how she'll improve healthcare and you know fix all the damage that's been done by the UCP, that's very much a like bucket number one uh, kind of political message. And bucket number two are political messages that make you feel good. And a fight with Ottawa sounds like great that's just you, daniel smith is just continually hitting the like the big red dr feelgood button over and over and over again in her campaign uh and the ucp base and the ucp members that she signed up and seem that's this is what they want and it's not like daniel smith is out there promising to make the lives of her supporters better <laughs> you know like I, I struggle to find any policy in her campaign platform that's like actually oh yeah this would make a material difference uh, and improve people's lives no it's all about picking a fight making people feel good and so you know you've got that group of people that are like okay this makes me feel good and then the, the uc i think the other thing that is kind of left unsaid about the ucp is that a lot of them are just kind of craven power seekers and that now that daniel smith has the momentum now that daniel smith is seen as the kind of leader uh the next leader of the ucp and the premier in waiting there are just the people attaching themselves to her left right and center because they want to be next to power and this is kind of like how conservative politics works there's just a whole barnacle class of consultants and government relations people and political hacks and operatives and backroom people who are just like, okay, well, I will adapt whatever it takes to kind of be next to power. Right. <laughs> and so that's, um, and I don't have an, a good answer for what, like what an effective refutation is. Uh, but I know that like, I'm grateful for the work that you do and you, prov you are providing the intellectual scaffolding for, um, a response to this. But we also have to craft emotionally effective arguments 
as well. And one that's been floating around out there that I want to just bring up that I don't think is, is that, is that effective is, is, I mean, Max Fawcett wrote an article, wrote a column in the national observer. This has been this, and it's not just him. There's lots of people have floated this idea that making the case that Quebec's kind of long flirtation with separatism nearly destroyed its economy. Do you think that, that that is uh, an effective argument? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it kind of depends on who you're targeting. Right. And I guess, so, so this is like, so, yeah, I mean, I would agree with you that for like the the very committed supporters, Danielle Smith's very committed supporters, you know, none of that really matters. Um, but I think when I think about, you know, Max making that argument, or if you look at all of like the majority of the other UCP leadership contestants, even Rachel Notley, like a lot, like it's not just Max Fawcett; it's a lot of the like establishment. No, for sure. I would say. And so then, what I you know, I think that they're aiming though, like they're speaking to the mushy middle, to the extent that it exists. Right. And, and, and I, and I, you know, I think, you know, frankly, that's probably who I'm trying to speak to as well. Right. So, you know, like, I, yeah, I would welcome the opportunity to speak again with those individuals again, because I think that there's really something fundamental, you know, and, I, and maybe you just think like if we could sit down for a beer, um, maybe we could sort of like reach some kind of understanding that, you know, as bad as things are, like, do you want, do you at least understand, are you prepared to really trade away these basic safeguards for your own freedom uh, and for the functioning of democracy, like to this end, let's have that conversation. But anyways, but so then, but then I think there's the, again, there's, yeah, there's the, the middle voters, right? The people who aren't participating in the UCP race, for instance, I think, you know, so I think probably a lot of this commentary is aimed at the provincial election if we have it uh, next year. (laughs) Right. Um, Certainly, I think, certainly I think Ms. Notley speaking to those people. And then I think certainly, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Travis Taves, um, Rebecca Schultz, like these folks, you know, it's interesting, like, you know, and go back to the point, like we focus on one aspect of, of tyranny, which is like the idea that, you know, essentially she would put herself above the law. But she's also sort of like made comments that make it pretty clear that she has no problem telling the police, for instance, who to charge and not charge. Right. <laughs> she has, she's basically been like, yeah, I would state the charges against um, all the pastors who were, you know, arrested and charged with with COVID violations, you know, and like there are like there is again there is some overlap in our Westminster system of parliamentary democracy that yes the government is made up of MLAs who are responsible in that sense but there are some clear no-go zones and you don't want politicians deciding who the police charge and don't charge right mm-hmm. um because essentially that is a police state right so 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 anyway so so and, and so that to me like that's what keeps me at night up at night Travis Taves is like but think of the investment. Um, losses, <laughs> think of, right? think Which, of capital. Enough, How will capital you know, like, react? Exactly right. Right. Like, so, so you know what? And, you know, I'm kind of at that point where I think like, you know, we all have to have our own, like we all have our own wheelhouse. And if they want to bang on that drum, um, fill your boots. And, and I do think that there is probably a segment of like a, a soft, even like soft segment of support uh, for Miss Smith. And then, of course, yeah, just like the people on the sidelines who are watching all this happening, trying to tune it out, frankly, but in six months, seven months, maybe called on to have to weigh in on it. And I think to them, I think that economic argument does make a lot of sense. Um, and again, how big think, a group is that? I don't know. I don't know how big it is for sure. I think the, the 
the broad economic argument we can talk about, but the very specific example of Quebec, I don't think is a very powerful example. I mean, it is the only example we have of, of like separatism affecting kind of capital, but Quebec is, you know, a fully functional province, you know, with, with, with a functioning economy where people are able to go to work and have kids and live their lives. Like, because there was a bunch of, because a bunch of like Anglo uh, bankers and capitalists like pulled up shop in the seventies, eighties and nineties because of those two referendums. It's like, I'm sure that that had an effect on the economy, but like, I don't think that's a persuasive argument for, um, Again, people who are even halfway interested in Daniel Smith's what Daniel Smith is sell- selling, yeah. I think it's a very I mean, persuasive I... argument for like Max Fawcett and the like, and people who read his column. But it's I, I worry about that uh, not reaching out of its bubble, you know. Sure, and I mean, so I think an interesting thing is that, of course, uh, because so I, you know, on a more sort of like maybe basic level or, or level of first impressions, I think that actually maybe the the real message initially was like hey folks there's no free lunch like and and everything is about trade-offs because i think you know when exactly like when when the way to hear miss smith pitch it like this is like all benefit no cost and so maybe at like as a as a first instance the intention here might have been to sort of say hey hey like don't think you like you want to be like them well let's let's be clear about what that was and you know and and maybe that you know getting to the details of how much was lost and all that kind of stuff you almost, you know, it can become sort of its own rabbit hole. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, if we can at least, you know, to the extent that there are people who are sort of object this idea. And again, and we're talking about two separate things now, right? One is the separatist sort of like vein. And then the other one is just like the tyrannical vein um, that I'm sort of a bit more on. But but even on the separatist vein to sort of say, hey, like there are trade-offs. Don't think mm-hmm. for a second that this is all just payoff. Um, you will yes. pay something. You will lose something. Are you sure oh, you want capital, to lose it? Capital has the ability to inflict real punishment on any economy that it so chooses at any time. Uh, we have seen this over and over and again. When p- places get out of line and they say the wrong things or they do the wrong things <laughs> and capital is threatened. Um, yeah, I, I, it sucks. Like I, I do not enjoy that I live in a society where uh, capital flight or capital strike has the ability to make so many people destitute and affect the material conditions of so many people. But that is, you know, the system in which we live. But uh, it's the material conditions remember, argument and I feel has like to I'm, be made. I don't want to sort of fight with you, but I, oh, I no. will say also that remember it goes the other way too. Sometimes, like yeah. we have seen in the U.S. and in, in southern states that have passed really regressive LGBTQ laws, really regressive. You know, we're seeing all kinds of uh, clawbacks on reproductive rights. You know, in some instances, we see that same capital working the other way. So, I mean, we mm-hmm. can talk about the sort of undemocratic nature of that, but but it does seem to go sometimes both ways. Well, I don't think, yeah. I mean, capital is concerned with one thing, right? And it's it's not necessarily rights or tyranny <laughs> or, you know, you or I and our friends and family having a comfortable life. It's, it's concerned with, uh, you know, accumulating more capital. So I, I think depending on the kindness of capital and capitalists to to yeah. to punish the people we don't like, I think is is a fool's end. I'd rather build power, uh, you know, for for actual working class people. But I don't have a good answer. Like I don't, I'm not sitting here with a book of strategy saying this is how we combat Daniel Smith's uh, Alberta Sovereignty Act and this is how we deprogram all these people who think it's a good idea. Like, unfortunately, I don't have that. And and I and I and I thank you for doing the work, you know, the intellectual scaffolding work. 
Um, and I should say though, you know, and so like, it's funny that you say that. So like, literally, I think, you know, I've referred to this, uh, you know, I did a, a pod with Nate Pike a while ago. And then on my, some of my, sometimes on Twitter, I go to Tim Snyder's book on tyranny. And so I should say that, I mean, it's interesting because that is like, it's literally like a handbook, right? So to the extent that your listeners are, are, are listening and, and are maybe interested, you know, he wrote it actually at, on the eve of Trump's election in the States, right? So Tim Snyder is, I think, a historian uh, out of Yale. And like, it is like a pocketbook. It's essentially 20 lessons on tyranny uh, adopted to modern times, right? And, and so I have been actually, you know, not, you know I, I'll say very clearly, like, you know, and again, going back to the comment I made at the beginning, I have a science background and in law. And so I'm supposed to be worrying about things like impact assessment or climate change or whatever. This is this was stuff that I, I should say not entirely uh, new to me. I kind of um, I began teaching administrative law uh, about six, seven years ago um, and, and then actually spent a year in the States for my grad school. And, and, and they really kind of like they really jammed this stuff about the separation of powers. Uh, and, and the role of the judicial branch, they jam it into your head pretty good. So it's not entirely new to me, but, but anyways, but I, but I certainly have looked there. And, and I mean, when you look at Tim Snyder's book and, and what he says to do, uh, you know, like without being like self-laudatory or whatever, but these are, this is exactly the thing that he would say that you need to do. You need to, you need to speak out about it. You need to point it out. Mm-hmm. You need to, um, you need to insist on certain basic norms. You need to protect institutions, you know, and, and again, and it's kind of weird because I'm not, you know, the Alberta Court of Appeal has written two reference opinions in the context <laughs> of the last two years, which I like strongly disagreed with. And I felt, you know, not just doctrinally, but I felt like there were clear problems in terms of sort of like what I would refer to as sort of like really not judicial reasoning, really engaging in some of this rhetoric, um, the political rhetoric, but like, but I'll defend the Alberta court of appeal as an institution, you know, and I'll defend our courts as an institution. And I'll say, you know, we need to make sure that we appoint judges who are impartial, who will at least strive to be impartial. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and I can engage in that discussion, but I don't want to burn it down. And, and so that, and, and, and so then all of us really, unfortunately, that's sort of where we need to, we need to come back to a place, I think, you know, and, and maybe this is, again, and maybe it doesn't work, but, but I, there's no, as you say, like, there's no secret solution here. There's no magic formula. There's just having these conversations. And like, I welcome anyone, you know, it's funny uh, with that thread where I called Miss, Miss uh, Smith, a, a wannabe tyrant. I mean, I, I sort of said, she exhibits all the tendencies of a tyrant, change my mind. And, you know, what, the one thing I haven't seen is no one's taken a run at that. Um, and so, like, please do, you know, like, and if you're hearing this and you happen to be a Smith supporter, you know, like, you know, as, whether I like it or not, my email's out there. You can find it. Send me an email and explain to me why you think this is okay. And maybe we can hash it out because because this is this does this is fundamentally outside the realm of normal of, of and not just normal, but like proper democratic discourse. This takes us into a place that we haven't been before. And, mm-hmm. and I don't want to, like, again, it's like, am I panicking? No, I'm not panicking. Do I think that these bad things will come to pass? I, I, you know, probably on like looking at the odds, I'd probably say not, but if they did, you know, and, and then also things like we said, you know, things like coots, like the coots um, murder charges, you know, against those groups there. Attempted murder. January 6th, you know, right. Attempted murder, January 6th in, in Washington, the con, you know, like 
there it's very you know news articles talking about the fact that we are really at a pitch point in terms of political violence in this country we need to you know again it sounds very pollyanna but man we we just we need to recommit to basic certain basic institutions and institutional norms and to try to resolve our differences within those structures because they're not they they didn't just we didn't just come up with them yesterday or the day before we you know they are for now anyways the hallmarks of basic democratic governance and we need to commit to them well martin thank you so much for taking the time to have this chat with me i think it has been a useful conversation and um i appreciate you know you lending your brain to to us and our audience um what's the best way for people to kind of follow along with your work and your thoughts both on this uh, matter as well as you know the stuff you'd rather be writing about Mm -hmm. the uh, the bill c69 supreme court environmental law all that stuff yeah, I mean, so like you said, I mean, you can find me on Twitter. I probably spend more time there than I should. Um, you got the, I'm sure you'll find the handle there somewhere. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Yes, of course. There you go. And, uh, and you know, and then, um, you know, the law school is with the law school. You know, we have all our stuff up there. If anybody wants to reach me by email, it's uh, it's on the law Just school Just Google website. Martin Oshinsky, University exactly. of Calgary. There you go. And like I said, yeah, like I, I welcome, you know, I, like, I welcome those discussions and we have to have them. Um, but and, and thank you, Duncan, uh, for having me on. I think when you first reached out, I, I probably said something like, "I'm a little bit burnt out on talking about this," but I think it is really important. And if I can, if I can help with that, with this effort to like just at least so that people understand fully what's on the table here and how radically weird it is and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, then, and then we then didn't I'm even have time to kind of we didn't even have time to get into the kind of various immune system responses that we are going to see. I mean. <laughs> If, if she does win the leadership, right? Like least of which is an election, which is, you know, going to happen anytime between right. now and who knows, 2025, well, maybe, I suppose, 2024, we'll, I suppose is the latest it yeah. could go with. We'll have a, we'll have a, I'll get my three Pete and I'll come join you here in the new year. And we talk about how the, the current, well, we'll depending on whatever her position is at that point, um, whether or not we're having an election or maybe we'll get together and say, ha, it turned out to be nothing. And I'll say, you know what, that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, and just Travis yeah. Taves will be the premier for the next fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Let's not. Maybe let's I'm not. A, yeah, let's not do that. All right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Martin. Uh, folks, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things, I you think I made a mistake on. I am very easy to get a hold of as well. Uh, my email is Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. I am also on Twitter at Duncan Kinney. Uh, thank you to Jim Story for editing this pod. Thank you to Cosmic Famu Communist for our theme. Thank you for listening and goodbye.